podcast. It feels different when there's a countdown. It feels more professional. (laughs) The thing that we put our voices into on the internet now counts us down. It leads us in. In three, two, two, one. And then off you go. (laughs) Mic drop. (laughs) I feel like I wanted to be more dramatic though. I I wanted to play music and I want to praise singer. I want like the full pomp and ceremony of, look, I get to hang out with my friend Simon on the internet. I'm excited. Well, I've tried hyping you before and just going, yeah, yeah, yo. (laughs) What in the background? <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> what did, we came up with DJ names for each other once, and I can't remember what they were. Were you DJ Sourworm? DJ Tuberculosis. Ah, oh, that's mix. right. <laughs> DJ Chuck Chip, motherfucker. Yeah. Or something. I don't, yeah, can't remember if those were the names, but that's what they are now. That's it now. Hi, Sammy. Simon. Hello. Hi. You know what I found out today? Is we've almost what? made what 60 episodes of Take Back the Day of Sam and Simon Speak on the Internet. What? That's amazing. 60 mm-hmm. is a lot of episodes. If our podcast was a person and every episode was a year, then it would be sort of about the time it would be starting to vote Republican. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of episodes until you um, look at how long we've been doing this for. So basically, we made like half an episode a year. For the last <laughs> yeah, we're really, really bad at being consistent in podcasting. But I mean, we're bad at being consistent about everything, I think, just as personalities. And so far, I feel like that's fine for our lives. I, uh, you know, that's not what you said last time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sam, uh, we, we, we are pretty terrible at consistency. We should, we should get an administrator. Yes. We should get somebody to commandeer us and tell us what to do. What have you been up to, Sammy? It is literally my dream. Oh, Simon, it has been truly a life of thrills. Um, this oh, only this morning, oh, in just this one day, I did such exciting activities as watering my house plants, uh, making Ooh. lunch. Uh, ah. Being stuck inside my house for probably the 397th consecutive day. Woohoo! Well, Sammy, you wanted to move to the muddy aisle of perpetual lockdown where you don't get to talk so often and hug never and and now look. It's shit. You should come home is what you I know. should do. I really should. But anyway, it's fine. It does. It has meant that I've had a lot of time to um, try to write things, which has been fun, and mm-hmm. read things, which has been also quite fun. So life mm-hmm. is not that miserable. Well, uh, writing things is basically your life now, right? It is, which is very thrilling, uh, but also mm. kind of uh, terrifying because, um, you know, when you like finally get to start doing like your dream um it sort of feels no, like someone I don't. has handed you oh shut up you do it sort of feels <laughs> like someone has handed you a very delicate like glass unicorn and says here mm. you go here's everything you've ever dreamed of don't fuck it up mm. <laughs> no pressure yeah. yeah don't know that i know what that feels like exactly sammy but it sounds quite daunting you asked me how i am i am a i'm a, a schmangled mess of confusion and tiredness um so normal Mm-hmm. Same old, same old, basically. <laughs> what is the major source of your schmangulation? Um, oh, that's the thing I wanted to talk about. 
There was a thing what? I wanted to talk about and then I couldn't remember what it was. And then I phoned you and you led me back there, Sam. You took me back to that place in my mind. You always got to trust um, me, bud. Because what, what, what the schmangled mess is a cycle of um, start out the day with the intention of fixing six things and doing things and making new things. Get other people throw items on my to-do list all morning, <laughs> which is a joy because they're usually our clients and people I'm very happy to make happy. Mm -hmm. um and then look up and it's now evening time and i have done none of the very good intentioned things that i wanted to do that day (laughs) although i have made a lot of people happy which is great and some people very unhappy which is not so great Mm. but i've achieved something is what i'm saying and then all i want to do is put as much wine or beer in my face as possible (laughs) and try and forget (laughs) about what just happened and then that messes with my sleep and then i wake up the next Mm. day tired and then rinse and repeat yeah Ooh, that's a cycle. It's a cycle, dude. Yeah. Uh, so what? But you, what did? What was the thing that you were wanted to talk about? And how does this connect to your schmangulation? Well, it's not directly what I wanted. To, so I want to talk about cycles. I think because I know mm. you think about that a lot, um, mm. and you've got systems. You've kind of systematized your your cycle thinking. So I wanted to talk to you about that. Mm. But just listening to myself now, I was also thinking about how. How weird it is that, how do you put this? There's some things you do in life to achieve an outcome, but they lead to the opposite. So, for example, I was thinking about alcohol, right? Like, it's amazing. It numbs you. It hits your brain. And all of a sudden, the world is just a much better place for a short (laughs) while. Um, It's easier to talk to the other weirdos sitting around the table with you. Mm -hmm. Um, So, it has that numbing effect. But it also leads to lack of sleep, for example, which makes you antsy. Mm. And so you did the alcohol thing so that you could be less antsy. But because of the alcohol thing, in the longer term, you become more antsy. Oh, totally. And this is me and running. This is me every day where I'm like, I need to go running. Uh, it'll make you feel better and it will give you more energy. And then I'm like, no, but I don't have enough energy to go running because running is the worst. And that is the terrible cycle. It's the same thing. I can't get over the short-term thing to get to the long-term benefit. And it's ridiculous. Exactly. So this is a very important thing we need to carry on talking about. But now I need to go and plug my headphones in because they've run out of battery and I'm a moron. So give me one second to do that. I will give you a second. You know, Sammy, I used to be good at things. You are good at things, you silly thing. You're a silly sausage, but you're good at things. Uh, okay, I have working headphones now too. Incredible. First half of the show, sorting out my microphone. <laughs> and now we've sorted out my headphones. And we were saying something very important about how the things we do beget other things. Yes. So one of the things about the last incredibly strange year of my life where that has been incredibly stripped down and distilled uh, to only myself really and the four walls of my prison Um is it has made, it's sort of laid bare how strange our day-to-day cycles of existence are. Sorry, that sounded way too high for looting. But like, you know what you were, what you were just describing? Um, it's incredible how if you strip away all of the external stimulation and the parts of our lives that's reacting to things around us and you're left with how do you live your life when you are the person who generates everything that happens in your life almost uh what are the incredibly strange decisions that you make as this weird little automaton in that system 
Mm. No, it's always just felt like much more laid out in front of me, just how strange some of my day-to-day decision-making is. Yeah. Um, Give me an example. So, I mean, what's one of the things I've noticed about myself, and it's a bit similar to what you were saying about how you wake up in the morning planning to do things and then your to-do list gets hijacked by other people's to-do lists um, Mm -hmm. when they ask you for things. One of the things I've realized about myself in the last couple of months is how what I do for the first hour of my day has such an oversized impact on how I feel about my day overall. It's Mm. bananas. It's absolutely bananas because I almost have, I, I really struggle with kind of binary thinking when it comes to my own sense of productivity. Um, And I essentially have one of two types of day. I have types of days where I wake up and I spring out of bed like a Disney princess and the birds sing. And I'm like, here, birds, do my hair. And the birds do my hair for me. And then I frolic along to my notebook and I do my morning pages and I journal. And then I I do yoga and then immediately start working. And the whole day is just this beautiful, magical path laid out before me of productivity Mm. and magic. And then there are other days (laughs) where essentially I wake up And I am some kind of cave gremlin for some reason. And then I start watching YouTube videos and then three hours go by and I've watched Mm. three hours of YouTube videos. And then even if after that, I proceed to have a relatively productive day, I still feel shit and I feel like I have been unproductive. It's bizarre. Mm. Yeah. So I think we are getting back to the things begetting themselves and... Just, you know, like while you were speaking, I was just thinking about how important it is to break cycles, you know, Um, because when you wake up feeling shitty, Mm. you basically automatically do the things that will make you feel shitty again later. Yes. Because what you should do is like go for a run Mm. or meditate or uh, cancel all your meetings for the day or, you know. (laughs) get yeah. some self self care going mm-hmm. um but what you inevitably do do is like you said uh get out your laptop and watch youtube postpone the work that you were going to do this morning don't cancel all the meetings for the day and rather be grumpy in them and end up feeling even shittier um by that evening yes whereas if you force yourself there's that i don't know who said it but that own the morning own the day idea mm. i don't know i don't know you know what's going on there or why it, it works that way but you're exactly right. If mm. I can just start the day on the right foot, which usually literally means on the right foot going running. <laughs> um, and like, I find that the best way to define a morning is as selfishly as possible. Mm. Like, no, I won't fucking do your meeting at eight o'clock. I'm sorry. It's the only time you can do pick another day. Yeah. Um, and just being like the morning, especially the very early morning, which is probably my favorite part of the day mm. is when I should be running listening to podcasts, uh, taking a walk through the park with a smoothie I just bought, mm. journaling, like doing things that make me happy. Um, and I, same as you, I find that if I do do that stuff in the morning, mm. A, by the time 9 or 10 o'clock rolls around, I feel like I've had an entire day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I also feel refreshed. I feel ready to do stuff. Mm. And um, and it just the, the rest of the day just usually feels more like the Disney princess version. Um, Unless like the YouTube watching gremlin version. Exactly. Uh, the self-loathing, whatever. 
because um, it's, it's, it, it's really all about your frame of mind, right? Mm. You're not really having a shitty day. The world's always a shitty place if that's how you see it. Mm. Um, the tasks always seem insurmountable when you're tired and, and grumpy. Um, and usually it's just, you know, the same task the next day when you've had the Disney princess morning. It's still the same task, but all of a sudden it's doable. It's manageable. It's not the end yeah. of the world. And actually you're quite enjoying your job again. Yeah, it's it's kind of it's incredible how the choices seem to have momentum, um, and they and obviously this is all as you say about framing in that you your brain is looking for affirmation that you are having the kind of day that you tell yourself you're having as well. Mm-hmm. So you know if you wake up and you start the day and you're like, oh man, I'm having such a slow morning, I'm really struggling today, um, then you will your brain is like okay, well, we're struggling today. Let's continue to struggle. That's the story mm. that we are that we are living today. Cool. <laughs> and at some point you sort of just, I don't know, at least if you're me, you just enter this like kamikaze mindset where you're like, well, today's a write-off anyway. <laughs> Let's just embrace this and then go and start binge watching TV. Who cares? Mm. Um, but it's, these things Although, actually have momentum, you know? Sorry, yeah? Mm, I, I am a proponent of writing off days. Like when it's not working like just let it not work you know yeah um, go to the beach like cancel the meetings like you know there's nothing wrong i think with saying today i need to look after me you know yeah. um yeah. and the other stuff can wait and actually i'm just going to make it worse if i stay here and force myself to do these things mm-hmm. i really don't feel like doing now like take the fucking day that's, off the world will not burn it'll be okay that's okay occasionally but <laughs> not a not a like if you find yourself doing that too many days in a row probably not a great idea um yeah. and I, but and i think that the other thing is is um to as you as you were saying like make sure that you are owning the morning um stephen pressfield i think it is who wrote the war of art uh talks about how he tries to accumulate easy wins in the morning Um, And he literally even counts brushing his teeth as a win and he tries to celebrate it. (laughs) He's like, okay, we did the thing. Woohoo. Yeah. I need to revisit that book. I've never actually read it. I just have come across so many little bits. Is it worthwhile? You know, books hit you at the right time. And I feel like when that book hit me was not the right time for me. I read kind of the first bit and then it trailed off and I lost interest in it was one of it's an abandoned Mm. book on my shelf but it's amazing Mm. especially with nonfiction, how the book just connects with you at the right time or it doesn't and I've had so many books that have been absolutely like formative for me (laughs) life-changing and recommended them to friends and they were like yeah kind of got bored after the first chapter or didn't really do anything for me I've also had books where I remember reading them 10 years ago and going, eh, that was a waste of time or just being mm. underwhelmed or whelmed at best. And then coming back <laughs> to them five, six years later and going, holy shit, like, A, the takeaways are completely different. I thought this mm. was the takeaway the first time I read it, but actually it's about this thing. Yeah. Um, and it's there's there's a weird alchemy when a book comes into your world that either takes off or doesn't. Um, mm. So anyway... Uh, I've been recommended The War of Art so many times by so many great people that there has to be massive value there. I just, Mm. I don't think it hit my life at the right time. I recently have started listening to the Tim Ferriss podcast again. And a lot of people dunk on Tim, but he is such a great interviewer. And the people Mm. that he gets on his show are excellent people. 
and he asked such good questions. And he, he had recently mm. had an episode with Stephen Pressfield, and it's a fantastic conversation. They get deep, oh, deep, 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 deep. Highly recommended. I'll check it out. It hit. Me I just I right find time. with the Productivity Bro podcasts. You're mm. right. Tim Ferriss is a fantastic um, interviewer. He's also incredibly like um, humble and listens well and mm. asks the right questions. And but I find that. That format, it's a little bit like a productivity cargo cult, you know? It's like, <laughs> here's this guy. He's massively successful. Let's talk to him for an hour about all the stuff he does. Yeah. And then it's like, well, if I do those things, no, fuck, not if you do those things. <laughs> like, he does the things. The things are like the symptoms, <laughs> you know? The cause is actually he was lucky 20 years ago or yeah. blah, blah, blah. You know, it's... um. You know, Naval Ravikant, who's another Tim Ferriss regular, talks about playing last week's lotto numbers. Yes. You know, it's uh, it's the same kind of idea. It's like, you know, this guy did A, B, and C, and now he owns the world. But that doesn't mean if you do A, B, and C, you'll own the world. Mm. And I feel like a lot of those conversations stray into the cargo cult part of it. Like, yeah. what's your morning routine? How often do you meditate? Blah, blah, blah. Interesting, yeah. cool. Like, you know, depending on who it is that he's speaking to, but not ultimately useful to me because I need to find my way. <laughs> And I mean, you know, back to this like weird uh, sort of quite odd thing that I was saying just now about how one of the weird things about the last year has been when you're left by yourself for so so long, you really have to confront how you create your days if you're the only mm. kind of force initiating things. Um and and just how absolutely idiosyncratic those things are, you know, like you, everyone kind of develops their own. And you know what it reminds me of um, is, you know, B, BK Skinner, I think it was, uh, the guy who trained pigeons to, uh, to, oh, yeah. to have all these weird behaviors. So he like um, accidentally made superstitious pengu- uh, pigeons by dispensing food at random intervals. And then the pigeons developed these weird behaviors because they'd be like, well, the last time the food came, I happened to be turning in a circle. So maybe if I turn in a circle, the food will arrive. You know, penguin yeah. cargo, uh, pigeon cargo cults as well. Um, yeah. It, it does remind me a little bit of that, right, is you find something that works and all of us are just kind of frantically hanging on to any weird lucky charms that we can assemble <laughs> that we think make us mm. productive. <laughs> but it's, you know, yeah. it's the placebo effect. We get our brains into a space where we think, okay, cool, now I can have a productive day. I've touched mm. the magic, mm. the magic stone and I've turned in a circle 14 times. Now we can do the right things. And the weird thing about cognitive dissonance, et cetera, is when it doesn't work, you'll that doesn't mean you won't stop doing it. Yeah. Like <laughs> this isn't working is not the reason human beings stop doing something, weirdly. Yeah. <laughs> and so we've in a in, in a podcast a very long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, you and I once spoke about how um you know, things become normal for you and you have to be careful yeah. of what you assimilate and incorporate because it becomes normal for you. Yeah. And in the worst case scenario, it is like, you know, a cargo cult behavior. Mm. You think that you're doing a thing that's going to work for you. It doesn't work for you, but you carry on doing it every day. Mm. And 10 years later, you look back and you're like, fuck, I spent the last 10 years with four hours a day in traffic because I thought it was worth driving mm. two hours to my dead end job and back. Turns out that was a waste of time. Yeah. Okay. So how do we break out of cycles? So you were saying you right now are stuck in a bit of a cycle that is making your brain feel schmongled. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's, you would, pro- uh, you know, hyper- presumably like to unschmongle your brain. Uh, so mm. like, how do you stop yourself from 
touching the magic stone every morning if it's actually making yeah, your life worse? It's a great question. Like, uh, and and I guess the answer is you just have to do it. Like, you need to pour some rocks in the river so that it forms a dam for a bit. You know, <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a good metaphor. Like, uh, and and I think that's why I love running so much is because I'm a lazy fuck and anything that requires more than ten minutes of planning and mm. some gear and driving to a place to do a thing, um, almost you know immediately repels me. Yeah. Uh, whereas running, there's very little excuse for not doing it. Like, if you can get your shoes on, if, but, you know, if you can't, that's fine. I have run barefoot before. But, <laughs> like, <laughs> just get your shoes on and get out the door and, like, start putting one foot in front of the other and before you know it, you're running. Yeah. And I find that that's, an, like, the barrier to entry is quite low for me. So, mm. when I wake up in the morning and I can see the cycle starting to happen, it's like, just go for a run. Like, mm. stop what you're doing, <laughs> go run, you know. <laughs> And yeah. those are the those are the rocks in the dam or in the river for me. Mm. And then the other thing that that I find amazing about breaking cycles for me anyway is you immediately see what was going on. You just take one step back from the situation, mm. and it becomes obvious where the problems are, what's going on. And before you know it, you're going, "What the hell was I thinking? Like, how did I think that was a normal way to live my life?" You know. Totally. Yeah. Um, or you, you know, I, I suppose a little, a little bit about the way things are right now for me is I'm actually okay with them. Um, I know yeah. it's not forever. I know I'll break out of it eventually. Um, I am enjoying it, except for when I'm not a little bit, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and so it's like fine. I like the cycle can carry on for now, and and I'll chuck some rocks in the river later, um, or, or maybe I won't. <laughs> I like your and thing I'll about chucking. I like your thing about chucking rocks in the river because it is incredible how powerful a little bit of friction can be. You know, like the 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 converse of your running example is it is amazing how much you can change your behavior by adding one small barrier to something that you don't want to do anymore. So for me, okay, my great my great weakness in life of all my weaknesses, and I boy do I have many, but my biggest is salt Pringles. Just if there is a can of salt Pringles anywhere in the house at any time of the day, I will eat it and I will eat all of it immediately. I just have to. Um, but it's amazing. I like bought this this box. <laughs> this is so stupid. I bought this box that's kind of slightly difficult to open. It's got this like complex latching mechanism and I put it in the very tallest shelf, like top shelf in my kitchen. And now I only allow myself to store Pringles inside that box. (laughs) And it's amazing how effective it is. A, because I can't see that the Pringles are there. So I forget about the Pringles. And B, just the fact that it takes me a very small amount of effort to get to the Pringles Mm, often mm. helps me avoid eating them. It's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there's, there's like so much written about the behavior around this stuff. You know, yeah. like um, I think it was, uh, is it Stephen Dan uh, what uh, Heath? Was it Chip and Dan Heath? I can't remember. Oh, the, the road switch. How yeah. to change when change is hard. Yeah. Um, and how important it is. And we've spoken about the elephant and the rider ad nauseum on our show. Yeah. Um, but, you know, those two sides of yourself, the rational side, the emotional side. And the emotional side is always going to win. You mm-hmm. know, you can't go oh, I don't eat donuts anymore, so I can still buy donuts and have them in my cupboard. I'm not going to eat them. Mm. Like, no, motherfucker, you will eat the donut when you open the cupboard, <laughs> of right? Course, of um, course. So the answer, and it sounds obvious, is make sure there aren't any donuts in the yeah, cupboard. exactly. Um, but actually changing the environment requires a bit of work and commitment and 
you know, but, that's where the rest of, of, of the shit kicks in. But I mean, the great thing about it is that you only do, you only have to change the environment once or twice, you know, it, they're kind mm. of irregular behaviors that are slightly more complicated to do, but then you reap the benefits of it in those micro decisions. So, mm -hmm. you know, any system where you're trying to set yourself up to make a decision over and over again and have willpower is not going to work. Um, so, but usually the decision to not buy Pringles is only a decision you have to make once a week, not every right. day. Right. Yeah. 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 I was just thinking about that Atomic Habits book um, mm, by James, James Clear. Clear. And I haven't actually read the book, but I was listening to an interview with him. This is what I love about podcasts. Like you don't have to read books anymore. You can just find an interview <laughs> with the author and, and get the cliff notes. Great. Great <laughs> um, time to be a writer. <laughs> but but the, 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 the things I remember, or because I took notes, um, was his, his whole thing about mastering the act of showing up. Yeah. Like getting the shoes on and getting out the door, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and then he's got those four things of how you reinforce habits, make it obvious make mm. it attractive, make it easy, and make it satisfying. Yeah. Which in yeah. a way all say the same thing. <laughs> sure. Um, but, but like, you know, making sure there's some form of reward system so yeah. that you're actually using the elephant against itself. Like you're actually taking these, you know, behavioral biases or whatever they are mm. um, that are, are, are geared to kind of jippo you when the environment's wrong and turn them into superpowers. Mm. So instead of trying to act against them, use them as a force for good, you know, like go – you know what? My favorite uh, smoothie place is at the end of a five-kilometer run. Yeah. So I'm going to go for the run, and then I'm going to get the smoothie. And like that reward at the end of the run then starts mm. tricking your brain into thinking that you should be doing more running <laughs> um, because it, it equates to smoothies. Yeah. For me, it's also you know listening to podcasts while I run, mm. um, which might not be everybody's cup of tea. Mm. But for me, like the luxury of having an hour to listen to a podcast in a day is totally. enormous. Yeah. And so that's my reward for running. It's like I get mm -hmm. to listen to fascinating discussions and I get to learn new things mm -hmm. while I'm out next to the ocean also getting fit, which is great. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've been thinking a lot generally just about treating yourself with m more sympathy um, and with more kindness. Like tr I've been trying to work on, because as you know, I'm often a person who's very hard on myself all the time. And I've been trying to treat myself with the kind of compassion that you would treat a sort of two-year-old having a temper tantrum, you know, like, mm. you know, you're doing your best two-year-old. It's okay. You're just a bit silly <laughs> and I, it, it's helping, right? Like it's helping because our, our brains are not these supercomputers and they're not they're not good at doing things. They're these little, you know, they're these silly little things that evolved haphazardly and they're just mm. doing their best. And so I'm just trying to work with this silly little two-year-old in my head rather than yeah. fighting it the whole time and wondering why it's not behaving like an adult. Yeah. And an interesting exercise is to actually write down your self-talk, mm. like write down the things you're saying to yourself. Yeah. Then go and find your significant other or a friend or, you know, whoever and read it back to them and just watch their face. You know? <laughs> and it's like, you would never speak to them that way. Yeah, you know? like, why have you been so mean? Yeah. Yeah, but it's like, we're incredibly mean to ourselves. And, and, and you're right. It's, it's part of just like, you know, letting that go and actually being nice to yourself. You yeah. Know? Don't yeah. be a narcissistic douchebag. Easy now. But <laughs> yeah, some people, um, some people should be meaner to themselves. <laughs> yeah. But most people but, not. But why do you think it is that you're so hard on yourself, Sam? 
Uh, I don't know, Simon. <laughs> uh, let's get my therapist on the line. <laughs> no, it's just, uh, it's. I think it's part of why you're so good at the things that you do um, is because you don't feel like you are. And, yeah. And, and I, I think on the one hand, it's not cool that you're so hard on yourself and that you doubt yourself and that you don't think your work is good enough. Mm. On the other hand, I think, I think it's a secret superpower as well. I think it's why you do so much extra work. I think it's why you commit to so many rewrites. I think yeah. it's it's why you're constantly trying to improve the thing and why the thing ends up being so spectacular because your things do end up being so spectacular. You would never say so yourself, but take it from me, <laughs> um, who sees the things objectively. They are spectacular. Um, so it's kind of weird. I think I think it's something you should you should embrace about yourself as well. Don't stop doing it because then you'll stop making magnificent things. But <laughs> but I think there's something there. Yeah, I mean, I think there is something about weaponizing your insecurities, right? Like harnessing, like if you're going to be insecure, like at least use that to make your life better. <laughs> um, Hell yeah, 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 yeah. No, for sure. I mean, Ira Glass talks about this thing that I love, where he says it's you know one of the hard things about artists for artists who are near the beginning of their career is you become an artist and I think that this applies to a lot of things but he talks about art and he says you become an artist because you have good taste because you really love something and so you know what a good painting looks like or a good book or whatever it is and the problem is for the first many years of your career there's this huge gap between your how good your taste is and your ability to tell what's good or bad and your actual abilities to produce a good thing and the problem is you just it takes a long time to develop those skills and there is no shortcut and having good taste is Mm. not the same thing as being able to produce something good um yeah and what's hard about art is and and any kind of creative career i think and many kinds of other careers is you just have to have the kind of sheer bloody mindedness, I think, to stick through that really uncomfortable period where you're producing shit and you know that it's shit, but you, because you, you have the good taste, but you just have to keep doing it until it gets better. Mm, mm. And you and I have also often uh, discussed how we don't know what we're choosing. You know, when you yeah. choose to write a book, you're not choosing to write books because you don't just sit down and then books start appearing on the table. Um, You're choosing to A, use a keyboard, probably B, on a computer, C, with a word processor, and actually have to, you know, physically sit and do something for hours every day that you weren't thinking about when you made the decision that you wanted to write a book. Yeah, exactly. Um, You're choosing a lifetime of back pain and anxiety. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, we've discussed this before as well. You you have an idea for a product, so you start a business, and you start the business because you want to solve that problem. Yeah. Um, But you end up being a glorified HR manager, finding invoices so you can (laughs) do tax, um, you know, trying to woo investors to give you money to make your thing. Mm. And none of those are the things that you thought you were choosing to do mm-hmm. when you started a business to make a thing to solve a problem for yourself. Yeah. But that's actually what you chose. Yeah. So <laughs> Surprise. <true>. Surprise. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that's got anything to do with anything. I love it. But Simon, I think that you should tell me about one thing generally that has been exciting you and making your life wonderful recently. Oh my God, Sammy, you need to 
put down your headphones. We need to stop doing this immediately. And you need to go and find How To With John Wilson and watch okay. it immediately. Pitch me, pitch me, pitch me. Tell me what it is. I, I don't even know how to describe it because, you know, it, it's an HBO show about a dude with a camera in New York who yeah. just basically films everything he sees and then has a narrative for it. And then has edited it into these brilliant themed episodes where everybody every episode is about one thing that he's teaching you how to do. So <laughs> there's one called How to Put Up Scaffolding. There's oh another God. one called How to Make the Perfect Risotto. There's <laughs> one called How to Improve Your Memory, which is probably my favorite. Oh, my God. Oh. Um, and that's not actually what it's about. <laughs> it's about life in New York and it's about the pandemic and it's oh, about man. how bonkers human beings are because, oh my God, I do not know where he finds the fucking crazy people that he has on his show. <laughs> but just watching motherfucking John Wilson walk around New York and the other places it leads him to filming everything and talking to people is bliss. Oh. Um and I can, I, I can re. It's infinitely rewatchable to me as well. It's funny as hell. It's smart. It's just like it's quirky. It ticks all the boxes, and I think it would be extremely your shit. It sounds so extremely my shit. Random, learn, learn random facts about random people. Uh, odd strangers in a big city. Oh yeah, oh, all my and faves. Dude, some of some of the people he finds, uh, you know, I I won't go into too many spoilers. But a guy who makes a device to regrow foreskins and then <laughs> and then has to show John Wilson how it works in his weird just 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 go and watch it. It yeah, is sold. Oh my god, sold. so good. This sounds amazing. Um Simon, I am thrilled that I can tell you about something. Well, I, ho I fucking hope no one yes. else has told you about this because I'm gonna be furious if I'm not the one to tell you about this. I am so excited to tell you about the most Simon Dingle book that has ever been written in the whole history of books. Ooh. Yeah, like wait for it. It is called Entangled Life and it is about mushrooms. Tell me if anyone has told you about this because I will go and hunt them I down I have kill them. not heard of this. Yes. Thing. Okay. All right. So you know how you are convinced that mushrooms are <laughs> like this magical species that actually controls the whole universe, right? This is the book about yeah. Just the fact that mushrooms are and fungi yeah. are just so much weirder than you think they are um, and more interesting and oh my more God. deeply connected to all Earth systems. But, okay, so what's great about this book, so it's written by this guy whose name, I do not lie, is Merlin Sheldrake, which is the best name if you're going to be a mycologist. <laughs> and what's great is, like, <laughs> you start – I mean, the book is, like, dedicated to – the mushrooms that he's like exp like experienced in his life he's it's like and you read the first couple of chapters and it's wonderful and he's this deep 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 nerd from cambridge university and but you i don't know the first couple of chapters i read i was wondering i was like i wonder how deeply this man um has experimented with all forms of mushrooms because there's definitely like a mystical layer going on in, in amongst all of this science. And then sure enough, like chapter four, he's like, so my parents' best friend, Timothy Leary, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> You're like, oh, there it is. Because <laughs> okay, one, who what parents are naming their kid Merlin? <laughs> awesome ones. Amazing. Anyway, it is just 
the most fascinating book. I was reading it while writing some very weird body horror scenes in my novel. And so I like now have pivoted my whole novel to basically being a horror story about fungi. <laughs> I cannot um, wait. This thing just climbs in your brain and it's so full of what the fuck moments about how bizarre mushrooms are. Anyway, you would love it so much. I can't wait for you to read it. I'm excited. Thank you, Sammy. Yeah. Sounds amazing. Yeah. Entangled life. Yes, it's so good. Awesome. Yeah, mushrooms are uh, mushrooms are a thing, man. They're a whole fire. They're many things and one <laughs> thing and <laughs> and super weird. Did you know? My it? kids actually got me a mushroom growing kit for my birthday. That oh, that's sweet. Yet. That's what you got me for my last birthday and it was such a mm-hmm. treat. It is b- b- absolutely bananas how quickly they start fruiting when they start fruiting. Yeah. They just grow. Yeah, yeah. It's incredible. Absolutely incredible. Yeah. 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 I sent you a pile of poo for your birthday. (laughs) Classic Simon. (laughs) It was the best tasting pile of poop you ever did send me. Well, I'll have to outdo myself next year. (laughs) But I do not know how. Yeah. (laughs) Simon, this has been very fun. And we should do this again for our 60th episode very soon. Hmm. Hmm. Sometime in the next five years. <laughs> we definitely, I can promise you, there will be a 60th episode. I cannot tell you when, <laughs> but it will happen. Aye. Aye, it will. All right, Sammy. It's been a jam. It's been a jam.